Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege it is to be here amongst your people and in your presence. Oh Lord, we pray that we would be conscious of yourself this morning, that we may know that we're in the presence of God himself. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move amongst us. And as we consider the words of Jesus Christ, may we be attracted to him. May we love him. May our faith in him increase all the more as a result of hearing him speak to us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through John chapter 6, and we've come to a section that is after some marvellous miracles that Jesus Christ has done. We saw in the beginning of John chapter 6 that Jesus did this wonderful miracle of feeding the 5,000 people, which would probably be more than 5,000. It's more like 20-odd thousand people, once you include women and children. And then Jesus, last time we met, we saw him walk on the water to his disciples. And we looked at the message that he had for those disciples as he was walking on the water. And now we pick up our study in John 6 at verse 22, where we see again that the crowd is coming for Jesus. We read in verse 22 that the next day that the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. So this crowd that had been fed is now interested as to where Jesus is. And so they saw the disciples get into a boat and go away, but Jesus wasn't in the boat. And they don't know what's happened overnight where Jesus has walked on the water. And they're curious as to where he is. And so they diligently search for Jesus. Look with me at John chapter 6, page 1056 of the church Bibles. It says in verse 23, Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once a crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So the crowd's looking for Jesus. Then more people from Tiberias land looking for Jesus. No one can find him. And so they hop in more boats and go away to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Now, why do they do this? Well, Jesus actually tells us why they are searching for him. We read in verse 25 of John 6, it says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They're very curious as to how Jesus got there and how he got away from them. Remember, they wanted to make him king by force. They wanted to snatch him because of the work that he was doing in creating all that food. And that is why they are searching him. And Jesus tells us as much in verse 26. Verse 26 of John 6, it says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're not, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Why are these people seeking Jesus? They're seeking him because they ate food and they want more food. They had their fill but their stomachs are empty again and they want Jesus to feed them. And Jesus tells them to work for the food that gives eternal life. And they then ask, well, what is it we must do? What is the work that we are to do in order to have such life? And we see that in verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? What is it that we are obligated to do in order that we may please God and have bread. And verse 29, Jesus says, 
The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. They want to know what they should do? Jesus says, believe in me. And that's interesting. They hold, they work out that Jesus wants faith from them and they withhold it from him. And we see that in verse 30. It says, so they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe in you? You want our faith? What miraculous sign will you do? And they've got an idea as to what miraculous sign might be a good one. What do they say? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. We've got a miracle you can do, Jesus. If you want our faith, we've got a miracle we know about. Give us more bread. Moses did it in the desert. Bread came not just once, Jesus. It came every day. It was really good. And we've even got a scriptural verse to back up that God did this. And they quote it to him. They quote from the Psalms to him. They say, Jesus, come on, you want our faith? Do a miracle. And particularly the miracle of feeding. We'd like our stomachs full, please. And then Jesus says to them that their focus is wrong. We read in verse 32, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Once again, pointing out to them that they need eternal life. And they get that through trusting in Jesus. And we have the same problem today. We often seek Jesus to satisfy our physical cravings. These people are going very diligently, hopping in boats, searching around, negotiating with Jesus, finding out the works that he requires in order to get physical satisfaction. And particularly, satisfaction for their hunger, for their bellies. And we can struggle with this as well. Our interest in food is just as strong today as it was for the Israelites so long ago. It is not as though we can look down on them and think, oh, we're above food in comparison to them. Because if you start to consider how much time you spend on food, you'll see it's a very big part of your life. The time that you spend making money in order to buy food so that you'll have something in the fridge when you go there, the time that you spend learning about different types of food, what's good food, what's bad food, what should I be having, what foods taste really good, time you spend reading recipe books, although I must admit I haven't read one of those in my life. Um, I wouldn't know how to follow a recipe if it hit me in the head. Um, cooking classes, some people enroll in. They spend time trying to make good food. Time spent buying food, preparing food, waiting for food, which is usually what I have to do. But you know, you go to a restaurant, you sit there and you wait for the food to come. It's all time and that's why fast foods come along because people don't like to wait for their food because they realise it takes time for the food to be prepared and they'd like it quicker. Time spent eating the food, time spent clearing up after the food, which is generally my job. I know a bit about clearing up after food. Time being entertained by food. I mean, just consider all the television advertisements and how they make them entertaining for us. So that we are looking at this food and thinking, oh, it would be good to do that, but we're spending time watching these advertisements. And then the cooking shows. I must admit, I've never watched a cooking show in my life, but I went on Wikipedia this week, which is a reliable source of all things. I'm kidding there. Uh, but I went on Wikipedia, looked up Australian cooking television shows. They had 54 listed. 54 Australian cooking shows. How much time do people spend watching 
food be prepared if there's 54 different types of shows about food? It shows an increasing amount of time spent by Australians on watching food, not just eating food, but watching food. And then, of course, there's time spent thinking about food. You may even be now thinking about your coffee, I need a coffee, and then it goes away, and I need a coffee, I need a cup of tea after this. You may be thinking about what's for lunch, or thinking about what's for dinner tonight. We spend so much time on food. And it's such a big part of our lives, not just in times of time either, that it takes priority over other desires. How often do people not meet with someone because it's lunchtime? Oh, I can't come yet, it's lunchtime. Or it's dinner time. I'll come after dinner. Food gets in the way of meeting up with people. I can't possibly come over at 6pm. That's when I have dinner. I can't. Just, just let me have my food and then I'll come and be with you. And there's a controversy at the moment within Australia and it seems to be spreading over the world or at least the world's looking on Australians as a, a curious object at the moment with avocado toast and coffee. I don't know if you've uh, picked up on this controversy that people are saying that people prioritise avocado toast and coffee, they'll spend money on that at the expense of buying a home. That people will value avocado toast and coffee more than buying a home. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but at least people are putting it out there that some people will value food over a place to live, over a permanent residence. And of course, food often is one thing that we prioritise when we have failures and other desires. When we are distressed about something, what do we often do? We go to the refrigerator. We use food as the thing that trumps all other things. And if I can just get a full belly or get particular taste in my mouth, life will be sweeter and it will be okay and I can deal with whatever's going on in my life. And so we're very much like the Jews here. They're hopping in boats, they're chasing Jesus, and we'd be doing the same thing when we start to examine our lives and the priority that food takes. And it may not be food. You may be one of those few people who doesn't see food as necessarily important in your lives, but there are other things. There are other physical cravings that we have in this world, things that we want so badly that we will chase after them desperately. Maybe that you want a particular physique, a particular body shape, And so you work out regularly at the gym. It may be money that you're after. That takes a priority even over food. Maybe having a family, having a spouse, having a wife, having a husband, or having children, having a house. Maybe you prioritise houses over avocado toast and coffee. Maybe it's a particular car, a career, having particular friends, having power over other people, and that's what you hunger for. These are all worldly experiences that we can have in this world. And we can desire like we desire food. And it can be so strong for these things, money, food, family, possessions, that we will actually go to God in search of them. We want God to give us those things. And that is why we diligently look for God. Many people today diligently search out God so that they can get what they want. They come to church, they serve others, they read their Bibles, they study God in order that they will get worldly satisfaction. That is why they're interested in God, because they have deep cravings within themselves for things of this world, and they want God to give it to them. And that's why they seek out God. And then when they come to God, they ask, what must I do 
in order to get that. That's what the Israelites did here. Jesus talks to them about the bread of life. And in verse 28, they say, what, what must we do to do the works God requires? And that's what people often do with God. They, they hear about God. They understand that he's there. They understand he's got great power. And then they go, okay, what do I need to do in order for you to give me what I want? Whether it be food, money, possessions, whatever it is in this world, what must I do? Give me my list of works. And this is why so many religions have such long lists of works and attract so many followers, because they tell you, if you do this, this, and this, God will love you, God will do things for you. And they're like the Israelites here saying, what must I do in order to get this, to have my worldly satisfaction that I so desire? And then, if some people figure out that it's not just works that God wants, they may look at the Bible and they listen to Jesus and they hear that Jesus says the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. They go, okay, if it's faith you want, God, I'll believe in you if you give me a husband. I'll believe in you if you give me a child. I'll believe in you if you give me that career I'm after. I'll believe in you if you give me a million dollars. I've got a miracle, God, that you can do to show me that I should believe in you, which is what the Israelites were doing here. I've got a miracle. It's manna from heaven. Start giving me a full belly every day and I'll believe in you. And people do the same today. We're very much like these Israelites. We withhold faith from God. We barter with him in order that he will give us satisfaction for our earthly cravings. But Jesus comes to these people and says to them and says to us today that there is something far greater that he offers than quenching the physical desires of our hearts. And what is that? It's eternal life. He says that in verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Don't work for food that spoils. Don't work for possessions. Don't work for family, spouses that you're so wanting, or children that you're after. Don't work for them. Work for the food that endures to eternal life. Work for eternal life. And he says... The same in verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus came to give eternal life. Not to grant your desires for the things of this world. Jesus didn't come as a genie in a bottle and grants you three wishes. And then you will be happy in this world. He's not someone who grants you what you want. He grants what he wishes for you. And what is it that he wishes for you? Eternal life. Not necessarily a husband or a wife, not necessarily a full belly or a house. He wishes for you to have eternal life. He is not your genie who you can negotiate with and grants your wishes. And this is good news because at the end of the day, eternal life is what we really need. You can live your life, go through several decades, and think that you need lots of things in this world. But as you come to the end of your life, you're going to start prioritizing. And you're going to start to realize that eternal life is actually what you need. And Jesus knows that, and it's wonderful news for us, because there's a hell, 
and there's a heaven. And who wants to go to hell and endure eternal punishment there? It's a scary concept. Even this last week, I was sitting there on Tuesday morning doing my quiet time and considering once again the gravity of the eternal nature of hell, that there is no getting out forever. But Jesus comes and says, I have come not to grant you earthly desires. I've come to give you eternal life. And so that is marvellous news for us. It is good news, far better news than what these people want from Jesus, that he would give them a full belly for the rest of their life is what they're after. Far better to have eternal life. And in one sense it's far better because the physical cravings we have in this world will never be satisfied. One meal is never enough. Not long before you want another one. And you see that with the Israelites in the desert. They got their food from God every day. The manna fell, and then the quail. They got water. They still grumbled. They still had problems with God. Didn't matter how much food God gave them, they still had issues with him. And you see that with these Jews here. They received from Jesus. Are they happy? No, they want more. They want more and more. And we see that today with us. A glutton is never satisfied. Even as he's eating food, he can be dissatisfied, complaining. It's amazing how picky we can be with our food. And we've got something there to eat, to give us energy, but we're annoyed about certain things not turning out the way they should. One meal is never enough. We're never satisfied with the things of this world. One million dollars is never enough. Ask a millionaire. Is he happy? Is he set? Has he got no worries from now on? No, he wants another million dollars. And then after he's got two, he wants three. He wants four. He wants five. Keep going. It's never enough. One job is never enough. Get dissatisfied with it soon enough. One house is never enough, or at least you don't like your current home. I got a home finally, but oh, it needs renovating, and oh, it's got these problems, and really I should upgrade down the track. It's never enough. If we're negotiating with God for something, don't think that if he gives it to you, you'll actually be happy. You'll be satisfied. Whereas if you have eternal life, you can actually have true contentment. If you know that when you die, you are going to eternity in heaven, you can actually have contentment no matter what situation you're in in this world. Whether you have a full belly, whether you don't have a full belly. Whether you have a job, whether you don't have a job. Whether you have a house or you don't have a house. Whether you have a spouse or you don't have a spouse. You can actually be content if you know you have eternal life. And that's what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul has eternal life. He knew it, and so it didn't matter what his life was like. He was able to switch off those worldly cravings and be content. And if you trust in Christ for eternal life, you can have that satisfaction as well. And it's interesting that the other things that you're so craving often do take care of themselves if you seek Christ for eternal life. The things of this world are very good. I may sound very negative towards food, but most of you know that I love my food dearly. And it's a good and precious gift from the Lord that we have the food that we eat. 
It's a good and precious thing from the Lord to have a roof over your head. It's a good and precious thing to have a car that you can drive, to have a career, to have family around you. And God knows this. But if your primary reason for following God, for seeking God, for trusting in God, is for these things, then you've got a problem. But if you're trusting in Christ for eternal life, then God knows that you need food and clothing and shelter and family. And often these things just take care of themselves. We sang a song earlier that was based on Matthew chapter 6 that says this, Matthew 6.33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. All the things that we are so concerned about in this world, they're given to us. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. They're often given to you. They just take care of themselves. So why are you seeking Jesus this morning? You've diligently got up on a Sunday morning. It's getting close to winter. It's a bit cooler now. You diligently got up. You've come to church. And I'm assuming it's because it's in order to seek Jesus. But what is your motivation for seeking Jesus this morning? Why are you here in church? Why are you keeping God's laws? Why do you want to know more about God and what you should be doing? These Israelites said, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And I know that many of you are following God's laws. Why is that? What is your motivation for following God's laws, for being diligent in coming this morning and for doing what he says? How can you find out why? You do these things. Well, ask yourself, what do I want from Christ most? What do I want Jesus to give me? What is the first thing that springs into your mind? If it's not eternal life for his glory, you have a problem. If a house appeared in your mind, a career appeared in your mind, a yummy dinner appeared in your mind, first and foremost, that's why you're seeking Christ, you've got a problem. And you need to stop withholding your faith from God like a carrot on a stick. And God is always doing things for you and he never quite gets to have your faith. You've got to stop doing that and embrace him through faith for eternal life. Some people will barter with Christ for the rest of their life. They'll say, I won't believe in Jesus until he gives me a, a wife. And then when you get married, you know, well, she's got some problems. Jesus, can you fix those up before I believe in you? And then, ah, uh, she's still not good enough. Divorce, get a new one. God, give me a second wife, please, before I believe in you. And then you get that second wife, and then there's problems in her too. God, fix those. Ah, uh, she's irreparable. Can't fix her. I'll get another one. Lord, give me a third wife. People go through their lives like that always withholding their faith from God. Today is the day that you need to stop doing that and need to receive the greatest gift of all that Jesus offers, which is eternal life. Come to Christ today by faith. It's marvellous what this verse says in John chapter 6, verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I could do a whole sermon on that one verse, that it's all by faith. That's all that God requires. And that's all that you should do this morning is trust in him for eternal life if you've never done so before. Stop hesitating. Stop working for your salvation. Forgo worldly desires and embrace eternal life through Christ. And if you are a Christian, 
How do you train yourself to seek the eternal life that Christ wants you to seek? How do you keep your focus on eternal life in Christ as the purpose of your life? That you are seeking God's glory, not by enjoying worldly pleasures, but by that eternal life that he promises through Christ. Well, one way that you can keep your eyes on the eternal life is by regularly denying yourselves of the things of this world, the physical things of this world. And that's why fasting is such an excellent discipline to go through, to deny yourself certain things in this world so that you keep your eyes fixed on the eternal glories that await you. Some people think that fasting is a way to earn points with God so that he'll give you what you want. And that's going back to the genie in the bottle idea. You rub the bottle, he pops out, three wishes. That's not what you do with fasting. Fasting reminds you that you don't need food if you have eternal life in Christ. That food is of lesser value in comparison to God. That you actually go without things of this world to remind you of what's truly important in your life. The eternal life that Jesus offers. And fasting also, when you forgo some of the worldly desires, the worldly cravings that you have, it often frees up your time so that you can spend time with Christ and increase your faith in him so that you have that eternal life that you desire. If you give up lunch, you might have some time to read your Bible and pray. If you give up having the big house that your body craves, you may not have to work so hard and you can actually make it to church on Sunday. You actually have time to spend with others so that your faith is increased. If you want to have a stronger focus on eternal matters, start foregoing some of the worldly desires in your life. Give some of them up, even just for a time, so that you can focus on Christ and know what really matters for you. Also, if you want to train yourself to seek the eternal life that Christ wants you to seek, evaluate and reform your prayers so that you seek eternal life. Consider, I've said this before, but consider it again, it's so easy to fall into this trap. Consider what you pray for. Do you pray about temporal matters and things that could be classified as earthly cravings and for things that one day will not matter? Or do your prayers focus on eternal matters, on eternal life for you and eternal life for those around you? Are you more willing to pray about someone's physical health than their spiritual health, their eternal health, whether they'll be in glory for eternity? We can quickly respond when someone's physically sick. Do we respond quickly when someone's spiritually sick? With prayer. A third way that you can train yourself to seek eternal life is to consider whether you prioritise seeking eternal life with others. The time that you spend with others. Is it more about physical matters than spiritual matters? Will you happily do something physical with someone but not something spiritual with them? Would you rather go to someone's place for a coffee than to read the Bible? You're quite happy to indulge in some food with them, a nice drink, than to actually read the Bible with them? Would you rather go to a dinner than a prayer meeting for lost souls? Would you rather go to dinner with someone than a prayer meeting for lost souls. 
we as a church could put on a dinner tonight. I'd be interested if we would say, we're going to have this lovely dinner, we may get a celebrity chef in to do it. How many of you would show up tonight? But if I was to say tonight we've got a prayer meeting for the eternal salvation of people around the world and the eternal salvation of people here in Des Moines and the eternal salvation of people who actually attend our church, would you be interested in coming in comparison to a dinner with Jamie Oliver cooking tonight. Does that say something about your priorities? What's important to you? Physical cravings, spiritual cravings. Which ones win out in your life? Maybe this is hitting a bit close to the bone as I ask these questions. Is that possible that because you've never actually feasted on the bread of life? You've never actually trusted in Jesus and you don't know what it is to know eternal life. If you know what it is to have eternal life, that knowledge changes your outlook on the world and, an outlook, and the outlook you have on your desires of your heart. If you know that you have eternal life coming to you and if you know that other people can have eternal life, your life starts to revolve around that matter. And your priorities change. And so if your life is prioritised by earthly interests over heavenly interests, you need to go back to basics. You need to go back to John 6. And stop behaving like an Israelite who will chase Jesus every which way for physical things, but not chase him for eternal life. If you find that your earthly desires are greater than your spiritual desires that your life on earth is more important than your life in heaven, then you need to come to Jesus and hear what he says in verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And you need to start trusting in Christ as you should. And if you do that, things start to change in your heart naturally. And you start to desire Christ and eternal life even more than food which may be an incredible statement for you to consider this morning. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that challenges us greatly as we see ourselves present. We see these Israelites who are chasing Jesus and it looks like it's commendable until we understand why they're chasing him. They're chasing him for the physical cravings of their heart and we see ourselves there so easily. We see that the physical things of this world matter to us so much more easily than the spiritual things. Lord, we pray that we would come to Jesus by faith, recognising that he is the bread of life and that he gives eternal life, which is better by far than anything this world offers us. So, Lord, we pray that we would indeed seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and that all other things will be given to us as well. But in one sense... They're not important to us because we have eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.